This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest Liverpool.com podcast. I am Christian Walsh, and with me this week, looking very refreshed and very excited, is Joel Rabinovitz and Dan Morgan. How are we, gentlemen? Refreshed, excited, looking forward to the new season. I am as well. I can't believe I can't believe the NFL's back. That wasn't what I was referring to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually more excited for the NFL return than the Premier League return, which is not a good way to start a podcast about Liverpool Football Club. But I'm just throwing it out there. I just I don't know why. I just it's too soon. I, I haven't watched an NFL game in nine months. I think Liverpool, like I saw Liverpool play a competitive game about two weeks ago. I'm just I'm 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 out. Yeah, I'm not I'm not refreshed, um, and I'm not quite certain that I'm excited. I feel this is very Hamas Rodriguez last night. Um, <laughs> this type of chat. Um, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm okay with it. I'm good. I'm um, I'm ready to to defend the title, even though Jurgen is adamant we're not to say that. That's that's the new. Um, that that's the new sort of buzzword, isn't it? That he's going to be against all season. I think defending the title. Defending the title. He's not. He's not keen on it. Why do you think that is, Joel? Uh, I've been writing something today, kind of quite existential about why sort of the mood hasn't exactly been one of unbridled joy throughout the summer, as you thought it might have been once Liverpool finally won the league, uh, and trying to get to the bottom of why that is. And I think. I think it is that idea that every single season any of us have been through, uh, unless you saw the last league title win, has been defined by trying to win this thing. So now that we're going into one without that kind of familiar reference point, it's quite, I think it's quite unsettling. And it, it feels, because they've reached such a high level for two seasons in a row now, there's almost like a natural kind of worry that they will drop off a little bit, which is, is quite likely, um, which doesn't mean they can't win the title again. But it's just, I suppose once you sort of reach the summit, it's a whole different challenge trying to stay there. Um, and I think Klopp's trying to... I think what he's saying is he doesn't want us to to see it as a hindrance, almost having this tag of champions. He wants to use it as, as something positive going forward. Dan, I don't, I don't like saying social media is crazy because ultimately society is crazy. And uh, social media is a mere sort of reflection of that because you get good, good bits and bad bits in, in every walk of life. Um, and what we're also, and we were speaking about this in private before between us three, what we also want to, don't want to do is sort of look down our noses at people on social media who are, let's say, worried about transfers, who are potentially slightly hysterical about transfers, who slide into James Pierce's and Paul Ghost's mentions upon every single tweet and sort of the man Tiago news. We don't want to do that. Um, but the social media space around Liverpool at the moment is a little bit crazy. Um, we had the, what I just mentioned there around the whole Thiago thing and, and, and the concern about Liverpool not signing any players. And then you had the excellent thread from Swiss Ramble. If you haven't read it yet, please do. Uh, at Swiss Ramble, he's obviously a fantastic um, social media account. But Andrew Beasley wrote it on Liverpool.com as well. He sort of deciphered it and broke it down. But basically, he was sort of explaining by the accounts, this is why Liverpool aren't, you know, ah. spending too much money this this summer. Now, we're not going to sort of go into that sort of detail because we're, we're not, you know, financial experts. But from a from more of a, you know, sort of a, a social media point of view, from a from a personal point of view, Dan, as Joel sort of alluded to there, it's a bit of a strange space at the moment. I mean. Is it surprising you that there's so much vitriol, so much panic, so much negativity almost? And we know that the, some voices will be amplified and negativity is amplified, but it does feel like it's just a little bit toxic at the moment. Yes and no, really. Um, I think I think there's there's a dangerous precedent here that we need to sort of sort of take out the room straight away, which is that you know. One of these people who could be, you know, the, one of the biggest voices on social media right now, banging the drum for Thiago or FSG out or whatever, could be the guy that sits next to you at the game. And I think that there's, there's this precedent that only a certain type of Liverpool fan acts a certain way. 
everybody's entitled to want Liverpool to sign players or not. Everybody's entitled to define their joy of, of football by transfers, if that's what they so wish. You know, whatever people need to get out of this, there's no there's no rule book in how to support. There are the obvious sort of model um, guidelines, I would say, that, that Liverpool Football Club especially looks to adhere to. But, but you know, if you think that if you think that Liverpool signing Thiago and two or three others this summer is going to define the next five to ten years of the club, then you're well within your rights to do that, and you might be proven right. That's that's the thing that that needs to come to the fore. I mean, for me, um, I think there's I think there's a lot of what Joel was referencing, a lot of sort of existential anxiety knocking around the place that's that's come from actually winning the league. And I think, I think it's it's almost easier to sometimes be in a place where, you know, you're Man United and you finish thirty three points off the champions, and the only way is up, because then you can sort of see it as an adventure and 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 a thing that you you know the only the only way we can we can do this is if we get better and God you know what what a laugh that will be if we manage it. We're in uncharted territory because that's all we've done for thirty years, and now we're at the other end of that spectrum where it's how do we maintain. How do we stay on top? How do we do that if we're not, you know, necessarily bringing in new players? And I think, I think the other thing as well is I don't think it's been talked about enough that Liverpool went so long with such a big cushion of points at the top of the Premier League that I think a lot of people, myself included, probably got a bit used to it. And to all of a sudden now start again from zero. Pedal doesn't exist, does it? No, it does We haven't had pedal in a long time. But it's such a fall from grace to go from like 25 plus points for what feels like an eternity to everyone starts again at none. And then compound that with all of these these players coming into the league and into different sides, Kai Havertz, Timo Werner, Donny van de Beek, you know, all, all the big names coming into the Premier League. There is, a, there is a, an undeniable sense of dread and threat. And I, I think that we sort of the only the only thing I would I would sort of issue out as a word of warning was would be to to not come to expect anything. You know, I think it's very dangerous in football to to expect or to be entitled by anything. You know, football is is the game we love in many senses because everyone starts again at zero every August. You know, you're not telling me there won't be. Everton fans or Sheffield United fans or whoever, if they win, you know, three out of the first three games, going, oh, I'm gone. You never know. You never know. Because because we've done it. We've done it with teams that we we, we thought were nowhere near it. 13-14, I remember coming out of the ground against Stoke at home on the first day and just feeling something. Just thinking there's something here. And that is the beauty of football. That is the beauty of football seasons, if you like. So, yeah, I, I would. I wouldn't sort of have any entitlements as far as Liverpool is concerned, even though they have won the league in such a in such a manner last season. I'll uh, repeat what I said a couple of episodes ago, and I think it, it got me called an egg on social media, and certainly on our YouTube comments, uh, which is why I've got a cap on today. But <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if this season is a little bit strange in the sense of. I'm not saying we'll, we'll definitely get a Leicester 2016 or anything like that, but I think there's an opportunity because there's so many games. I know there was a bit of disagreements because you know there's squad depth isn't there for some of these teams, and I'm not saying Crystal Palace are going to finish second or anything like that. I just think there's an opportunity where there's going to be a team from outside the pack who deals with this situation better than other teams, and therefore we'll we'll box it off. Um, so that's where I'm at with that, basically. Um, so yeah, put your money on West Ham to, to win the Premier League because you don't But yeah, we, what we're going to do today then to, to, to kind of move, uh, you know, smoothly into that is talk about our sorts of predictions for the season, our headlines of the season. Basically, we're going to try and predict the headlines of the season where it comes uh, from Liverpool's perspective, and maybe just a few others from from the uh, Premier League in general, maybe even Europe if we want to. 
Joel, I'll start with you. What 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 what's what, what are the sorts of what, what can you see happening this season around Liverpool? Um, at the moment, my biggest excitement, I suppose, building on sort of glimpses you've seen from pre-season, um, but also what we thought we were getting originally is is the Minamino conversation. I think, given that Liverpool so far have only bought a left back, and they may or may not sign one or two more before the window closes, but I think if you're looking at how Liverpool's squad or team can be better than it was or or different, I suppose, than it was last year. He is the one, because uh, you forget, because of the, the way time and, and the calendar's been warped so much, Minamino has been a Liverpool player for quite a long time now. It's been quite a few months, and I know three of those months was when there was no football getting played, but he's been here a while and he's gone through this process that we've seen other players go through, Robertson, Fabinho, Oxlade-Chamberlain. Um, and I think the kind of question that everyone's been asking ever since we signed him was, where does he fit in? Where are we going to use him? And I think we're starting to see a little bit more clarity. Um, again, there's always a caveat with pre-season that you don't want to draw big conclusions and everything. But I think there was enough there in the second half of the Community Shields um, and the Blackpool game, which, again, I know there was players missing for international duty, but it was still interesting to see him use kind of behind or supplementing the front three uh, in more of a four-man attack um, and then Klopp going with a two-man midfield, which we've not really seen a lot of since kind of the, the opening months of 2018-19. Um, and I don't think that's something we'll see in every game. I don't think we're going to permanently ditch the 4-3-3 system, um, especially in the big games against the strongest teams. I don't think we're going to go to Stamford Bridge in the second game and play a 4-2-3-1. I might be wrong, um, but I think against these teams that come to Anfield, um, and look to defend and stay compact and deep. I think having those four attackers with him, he's he causes chaos because the positions he takes up are so difficult for defenders to kind of identify the way he's been sort of switching with Firmino. I think I think it was Dan wrote a piece a while back about sort of the difficulty of fitting Minamino and Firmino together. And I think you've seen a few signs recently that that could actually work because they both they both have that tendency to break forward like a number nine, but then drop back like a number ten. Um, and yeah, I'm just really excited. I think he looks more in sync with the system. I think he looks more sure of himself. Um, and yeah, to be honest, I'd, I'd love to see him start against Leeds on the opening day. I'm not quite sure Klopp will go with that. Um, but I think just as an option to have, I think he brings so many possibilities. Is this the end of Tacky, Sam? Um, I'm intrigued in, in terms of how we sort of... I'd love to know how we get him in the team for a run of 10 games. I, I understand where he comes in in isolation. Um, but if, if the manager sort of says, OK, I've got a run of 10 games here and I want I want Taki to hopefully start every one, I, I'm intrigued to see what the team looks like. Because, I I mean, just, just sort of rolling with that point, my, one of my predictions is that this could, could be Roberto Firmino's best season in Liverpool shirt. Um, output goals. I think, I think there's enough evidence from pre-season um, and enough evidence from from the past three that he can be a player who really comes to the fore and um, adds those goals that were were missing at home um, to his game this season. And I think, like I say, I think they will look to when we look at evolution in this side. I think they will look to evolve. Firmino's game and maybe that's the concept of him sort of dropping back a little bit deeper, creating from a little bit deeper, but also then I've got this vision of, of, of Firmino almost being a little bit sort of Lampard 06 to 10 in terms of sort of third man run arriving late into the box on the end of things, almost like a centre midfielder, eight slash number 10 type player. Um, and I, I back him to to, to get 20-plus goals in the Premier League this season. That's a big statement, but I just think he's... I think he's going to... I think he's going to pop for some reason. I don't know why. I can't really put any kind of logic um, behind that. Where that then leaves Taki Minamino, I'm not sure. I think... I think he has sort of... One one thing that looks like it's clicked to me is is the, the concept of starting wide and drifting inside and drifting into more central areas. I think when he was... Starting wide at times last season, he looked a bit sort of confused by the brief. Um, he was sort of crossing over runs with other forwards, and he didn't sort of 
he didn't really look to have the confidence to sort of play across the line in the way in which Sadio Mane does or Mo Salah does, for example. So whether whether there is the case to accommodate both um, in the same team, I know people have moved to four two three one, but if you do that, then you're still playing for Mino in the ten. Um, so yeah, it could be the year of the tacky, but it's the year of the Bobby for me, Chris. I also love the fact that you said uh, you're a bit confused by the brief. That, I think that's your sort of just general vibe with me, isn't it? When, when, I'm <laughs> <laughs> when I'm sort of throwing a few ideas out there of a more yeah. just... I, I hope Saki is off the same approach as me. Let's just give this a couple of minutes. <laughs> and it, it'll all make sense in the end. <laughs> Let's just get it done and finish. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I think, I think Minamino is an interesting one. I, I, I think... I think with Firmino as well, I think they'll almost kind of dovetail in that sense. Not not necessarily on the pitch, but I think if Firmino isn't having a good season, I think you'll see Taki Minamino having a really good season because I think he'll be playing more. I think if you're not re- if if Firmino's having a very good season, then it is hard to see where Minamino maybe maybe fits in. I can see Minamino having a Ben Ayun 08 09, kind of season, which, given that he's 24 years of age, he's still ultimately learning the ropes at Liverpool, came from Salzburg, cost around 7 million. I think that's absolutely fine. I think you, you don't need an absolute superstar to, to come off the bench um, to win titles. And, and Liverpool know that best than anyone because they did it with Divock Origi for the second half of 18-19, nearly won the league and, and obviously won the Champions League. So I think I think you're looking at him in a Ben Ayun sort of role in 08-09. I think he probably gets about 10 goals this season. Mm. I still um it's still, you know, it is a good campaign, you know, from, from from the bench, a couple of starts as well. Um with Firmino as well, I'm just interested in if you're feeling around that Dan is is ultimately, you know, his underlying numbers. He, he massively underperformed last season, and, and yeah. anyone who's into that 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 idea of XG and and sort of shot conversion and that kind of thing will will know that Firmino should have scored. He should have had a 15 goal season really, um, yeah. and he should have scored about eight goals at Anfield and ultimately only scored one. So, you know, the, there's, there's definitely I said on the last podcast I think that. I was concerned this this could be sort of the start of the end of, of Firmino to a degree, and that he'd have to sort of show something a little bit more this season. I'm absolutely on board with the idea that he will do that, and he'll, he'll sort of have the campaign you were talking about. Them. One thing I wanted to raise um, in a headline, I think we might see the uh, well. You can choose one of two here. It's either No Gomez or Joe Nomez um, <laughs> in terms. Of- of, it's not very SEO friendly, that is it. Um, but we will sort of. I'm a little bit concerned, not the words around Gomez, but I think Liverpool have probably got the best to be slash third choice central defender in the Premier League in Joel Matip. I think it's really easy to sleep on Matip. But I think if you look at the body of work of Matip and Gomez over the past two seasons, let's say. And I know that's probably unfair on Gomez because he obviously had that injury against Burnley. If you look at the body of work between Matip and Gomez over the past two seasons, I think Matip slightly edges him out. And I think because Gomez is younger and he looks a little bit better on the ball, he looks a little bit calmer, a little bit cooler. Um, and because he's obviously got a lot more potential, I think sometimes we can sort of just assume, yeah, Gomez streets ahead of Matip. I actually think, and you know, post restart and even from what I've seen a little bit in pre-season, even a little bit of what he did against the, for England against the Iceland in the last minute last weekend, um, I can see a I can see a situation where, again, Gomez may have to be brought out of the final line slightly and Matip's there to, to step it up. What, what do you reckon, Joel? Is, is this going to be a... It's obviously maybe more complicated by the fact Liverpool don't really have a fourth-choice centre-back at the moment. Um, so... Where do you stand on that? Do you feel we see more minutes for Matip, more minutes for Gomez? I suppose with the caveats, let's say they're both fit for the entirety of the campaign, which is a problem for Matip, definitely. Maybe even for Gomez. Who do you see getting more minutes and who do you think should be getting more minutes? I'm still fully on board with Gomez as the default partner for Van Dijk. I think um, I don't have too many worries about him long term. I think we can easily forget how young. I think he's only 22 or if not 23 still. Um, it's just because he's been around for so long 
and performing in, in such a kind of a high profile position for Liverpool that we assume he's kind of got a few few more years than he actually has. Um, and again, I've made this point previously, but Van Dijk wasn't doing anything that Gomez was doing at this age. Like he's a very early developer to be performing at the level he is. So I think we still have to give him some sort of leeway with those mistakes. Um, I think they've become less frequent the more the more he's kind of got into his stride as a Liverpool player. Um, they're still going to happen from time to time. But I do wonder this season whether, again, we, we often reference the, the, the nature of the fixture schedule and there's going to have to be some rotation, especially given Liverpool's kind of quite delicate situation at centre-back, really. Um, he's not going to be able to play Van Dijk and Gomez repeatedly in Europe and in the domestic cups and in the Premier League. So I think there will be there'll be hopefully more of Matic than we saw last season. Obviously, he, he barely featured and fitness is the big question there. I think there's also, if you presume that both are fit, there might be a scenario over certain games where he just wants to pick Matic because Matic's a funny one. It aesthetically, doesn't often look that good on the ball because uh, he's quite gangly and he can... He can look a little bit shaky at times, but actually his his progressive passing and sometimes when he does those slalom, slaloming runs uh, where he takes three or four players uh, out of the game and sort of he can essentially go for the edge of Liverpool's own box to kind of starting an attack in the opposite half. I think he can be really useful, um, especially in sort of breaking down the lower uh, sides in the league. So, yeah, I think he you're right in saying he's been slept on a little bit. I think in terms of starts, Matip was only on must have been about 12 or 13 last season in total. It was a really small amount of minutes. So, again, he's not as old as you would expect, Matip. I think he's only 27, 20. He's younger than Van Dijk. Well, yeah, that, that feels mad to say as well. But I think you're right in terms of, of third-choice centre-backs in the league. He, he's just about as good as there is. So, yeah, I'm hoping to see more of him. But I'm still very optimistic about Gomez's prospects promisingly as well around Matip it looks like his head isn't shaped like a 50p this season <laughs> judging by his, his header because let's face it and, and people said this about Van Dijk in his first season Matip should get more goals from corners he finds space really well and he obviously scores well against Arsenal early on um, I'm struggling to think of many Matip goals I think he scores at Salius Park in his first season um, as well. yeah West Ham away he he does well he, he, he finds space well it's just that it seems to just spin off his head most of the time. So, interested to see if if that can sort of develop as well. I think he might have scored against Southampton as well in eighteen nineteen. Dan, where, where do you sort of see the centre back situation? I, I think I think quietly. I I share your Gomez concern a little bit, Chris. To be honest, in just in the sense of, I think it's easier for teams to screen um, Gomez and and sort of funnel him to to, to make him passes that. I'm not always comfortable. Uh, he, he makes... Uh, there's one in pre-season. I've just wrote a piece today on Fabinho. Um, and it, the, the, the friendly against Salzburg. I, I had earmarked as Fabinho's fault all day for the first goal from Patton Dacher. Um, but when you look at the, the goal back, it's a pass that Joe Gomez shouldn't be making. He's basically getting screened um, by two strikers who want him to funnel the ball into Fabinho and when they do it's a trap, they've set the trap and he he just takes a, a touch too many and, and, and all of a sudden they're in and I, I think Matip's quietly better in terms of his, not his exactly even his range of passion, passing or his, especially not his aesthetics at times but just his choice of ball I think is 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 quietly better than Gomez and, and I agree with Joel's point to be honest in contrast that given his age you know, they're things that are still being ironed out. Let's not forget, you know, two seasons ago, we were all worried about sort of Gomez being sucked into the the, the near post or balls being played over his over his head that were, were seemingly just dropping on all the time. And, and he's, he's undoubtedly sorted that element of his game out. I just think when we talk about these fine margins and, and these, these little details, I think, I think quietly that's where the coaching staff might favour Matip. And, and one thing that sticks in my mind is the first game back against Everton after lockdown, Matip starts. And really then, forgotten that, isn't it? It's really it's forgotten, important. yeah. Really slept Gomez on that. Gomez the left back. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's really, really interesting in the concept that they've had all that time together and it's almost a start again from new and it's Matip who gets the nod um, because there was no injury concerns from anyone who, who lined up in the squad that day. 
So I, I wonder whether um, that might be a thing going forward. Is that potentially a Calvert-Lewin thing? Because potentially, Gomez, yeah. Gomez gets beaten in the air and Matip is better in the air than the Gomez. I think that's pretty much undeniable, so it could be a Calvert-Lewin thing. Potentially, yeah, but I mean, just have, I mean, just it's just something to keep an eye on. It's something I've noticed um, in terms of how teams set up against us. You know, the, the party line is always people target the right hand side with Trent and stuff like that. I think at times there's more cute ways in which to target this Liverpool team, and I think one of them's sort of funneling Joe Gomez into making passes that the opposition want him to make, and I think he's still a little bit guilty of doing that. But still, a, still a great, unbelievably. Um, High, highly potential young young defender. So yeah, um, wouldn't wouldn't worry me if he was in the shower with fans. Like put it that way. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We'll uh, we'll move on. We'll go back to this at the very end because I want to sort of get your really quick predictions around Liverpool, the campaign, and everything. Just want to throw one more headline in there. Uh, obviously, I've got my newspaper background, and I do think we will see a lot of woe Salah. This season, I think uh, he's going to score a hell of a lot of goals. I think he'll be top goal scorer. But we'll talk about that in a little bit in terms of predictions. Folding into this is the obviously spoke, spoke about Minamino, about Firmino. I just you know cheaply thrown in Salah there as a segue. Ryan Brewster. So we're moving on to um, just a really quick segment. Obviously, every week we have to take part in our polls. Um, I accidentally didn't set the poll last week, so please ignore everything I mentioned about the poll last week. Um, I think it was meant to be what, how many points are Liverpool going to get in, in, in the first three games? Let's just say, given how everyone's reacting on social media, that zero was the answer. Um, <laughs> so um, we'll move, we'll forget about that one. We're going to set a poll this week, and it's about Ryan Brewster because reports, Joel, are suggesting that he might be on his way out of Liverpool permanently. Um, there's been a couple of reports from, from from various outlets. He might be out on his way permanently, and the reason of doing this is because they'll put a sell-on clause in his in his sale, and therefore can, can sort of bring him back. I mean, this this makes no sense, surely. No, I don't think so. Uh, I think when you've invested that much in a, a player of his kind of ability and potential. Uh, to not even really uh, give him the kind of the time of day to prove that he can be a part of his squad would be a massive shame. Uh, I'm yet to be fully convinced that he's a long-term Liverpool player. I think he's he's got loads of talent. Um, again, questions around kind of style of play. Liverpool for so long now have played without really an orthodox number nine. Um, and all the talk at the moment uh, or in recent months has been, can Minamino sort of do the Firmino role and be that kind of backup um option there that we've all been waiting for for so long. Brewster, you look at his goals at Swansea, his record is fantastic. It was basically one and two there. Um, but he is much more of an on-the-shoulder number nine. He, he runs in behind. He's a very clinical finisher in the box. Um, there's definitely a case Liverpool could do with something that's a bit different that isn't Divock Origi <laughs> this season. Um, but I think the idea of, of cashing in on him now, even with a buyback clause, just seems very premature to me. Um, but remember, this is a guy who also lost a huge amount of his kind of younger days through injury and has had to come back from that. Um, and he, seem, he seems very well liked, very integrated within the squad. I think it's a bit of a shame what happened in the Community Shield. I think the way that sort of what is essentially a few inches kind of changes the narrative quite a lot. I think if he scores that penalty and Liverpool win the Community Shield and you can talk about the importance of that game or not, but for a young player like that to score a winning, winning penalty... Um, I think there'll be a lot more optimism about him and I don't think there'll really be much of a discussion and then obviously the way that happens he was obviously gutted with it um, that that is kind of a, a shame how that's unfolded so I, I would be sad to see him go out this season I'd like to at least see how he copes in the first few months again Liverpool going to have a lot of games he'll get minutes off the bench hopefully in the domestic cups um, and then probably reassess things from January I think if it comes to a point then like last season where he needs to go out and play for a Premier League club, then so be it. But I think, yeah, I'd be more inclined to loan him if they are thinking of kind of getting more experience than, than selling him at this point. I wouldn't be considering doing that. Dan, Liverpool are, are renowned for their use of youngsters and the way the way they nurture them through. 
Cop is obviously a, a massive uh, advocate of that sort of thing. You look at his Dortmund team, um, you look at what he's done with Trent, with Gomez, uh, several other players as well. On 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 the quiet though, have have Liverpool messed up this this Brewster situation a little bit? It certainly doesn't make sense. The, the more and more I come to think of it, I, I, I don't think he's rated for some reason within the current coaching staff. Um, I think they see something that they don't like. And we can talk a lot about sort of how sort of inefficient the club is with transfers, etc. But I think that's been the case for the last three years. And I think, you know, when, when we want to talk about whether this club are are ruthless enough in, in the transfer market, you know, that they they did their utmost to get Ryan Brewster to sign a contract to ensure he didn't leave on a free and now they're looking at twenty to twenty five million. Um and he's still twenty years of age. That being said, I agree with Joel. I don't think it makes sense to do it now unless we are absolutely desperate to, for example, sign Thiago and keep Winaldum. Um, I was just about to say, is Bruce the Liverpool's most sellable asset of this summer? Possibly, yeah. To the, but again, this sort of Chelsea is a really good example of sort of how you deal with saleable assets in terms of your own spending. Chelsea have put up a lot of money up front for their own signings, but they know that they will eventually recoup a huge amount of that money through the saleable assets they've got. Liverpool don't have that many. But I think if they want, if this was a case of getting Thiago in and getting doing what they need to do to to do, to make that an eventuality, then I I think there's got to be an argument that they can sort of roll that dice a little bit and say, well, you know, I mean, if Brewster goes to the Premier League on loan this season, then there's every every chance his value doubles from twenty to forty because there's a dearth of strikers as well and. For the sake of one year, and I get the financial implications, I really do have wrote about it. Um, but for the sake of one year, that might be a risk worth taking as opposed to a Marco Gruwich or a Harry Wilson. I, I don't know. There's, the, the sort of willingness to let him go tells me something isn't right in terms of his suitability to this team and its style or whatever. Um but I think in a year's time, whether we we insert a buyback clause or not, or a sell-on clause or whatever, I think there's every every chance we're all looking at this with a, you know, and the club especially with a bit of egg on the face of, we should have just held out another year here. Even if he's not our player, even if he's not going to be our player, we should have, we should have held on to him on the books for another year. So regular listeners slash viewers <coughs> of Liverpool.com podcast by now, you know what to do. Uh, it'll be in the uh, description of, of the podcast or, or the YouTube video. Take part in the poll. Uh, the options are uh, A, keep him because he's an important squad member. B, keep him because we want to see more of him before making a decision. Uh, C, loan him out to a Premier League club. D, loan him out to a championship club. E, loan him out to a club overseas. Uh, F, sell him with no buyback clause. And G, that's the thing about the alphabet then. G, sell him, <laughs> sell him with a sizable buyback clause. Which one would you be going for, lads? What what would you be what would you be saying? Personally, I'd I I I would say keep him because I think we want to see more of him before making yeah, a decision. I'd agree with that option B for me. Yeah, I think that. I, I think let him go on loan to the Premier League and assess assess in a year's time. Um like I say, you never know. His, his valuation might be doubled. I'd also throw in the Salzburg curveball, by the way. Just send him to Salzburg, play a bit of Champions League football, get him in a team that dominates in a, in a setup that Liverpool sort of would, would, would be familiar with, with a manager who plays a similar sort of games to Klopp. If I was sending him anywhere, I might be tempted to send him to Salzburg just to get used to, to playing against teams who are going to sit back for 90 minutes. But yeah, an interesting one, and I also believe by the time you listen to this, it, it may have been moved on, it may have been knocked down, uh, we'll have to see. But it's, it, it, I think the very fact that nobody is kind of dismissing this out of hand, that Liverpool will be selling Rian Brewster, it probably points to the fact that there isn't something quite right with, with, with the situation and, and, it, and it's a strange one uh, for all parties concerned. So just finally, uh, before we move on to really quick hits in terms of uh, pre-season predictions, uh, 
football is back, um, not just the NFL, but the Premier League, Liverpool are back. Um, and it begins all over again on Saturday afternoon, Saturday early evening, when they welcome Marcel Bielsa's Leeds. Joel, what are you sort of looking forward to here? What are you expecting? Are you concerned? Is this the hardest game Liverpool could have? Just give us all of your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the only thing that makes me slightly trepidatious about it is the two fixtures. That what a weird... Well, yeah, I put it in a piece. Trepidatious. Well. Yeah, apprehensive, <laughs> uh, tense. Uh, is is the context of what comes after because they go straight to Stamford Bridge, and then it's Arsenal who've obviously beaten Liverpool recently, and then beaten them on penalties again uh, in recent months. Um, so those two games, the second and third of a season, are really tough, which basically means that the first one is an absolute must win and you can imagine if the kind of the mood is slightly negative at the moment uh online then if they don't beat Leeds at Anfield on the opening day as champions uh yeah you can imagine how it goes um that said I, I am pretty confident uh I have to say I haven't seen loads of Leeds but from everything you read they are they're not the team that's just going to come and sit back and and kind of wait for Liverpool to attack them they are going to be quite proactive in their sort of pressing game um so I think Someone like Fabinho is a player that I'm marginally concerned by just because we know he can be a bit of a a slow starter in seasons. It takes a while to sort of get into his groove. And I think if there's one that they're sort of looking to target in terms of disrupting Liverpool's system, uh, he is one. Um, All that said, and again, I know it was Blackpool, but it was reassuring to see Liverpool score some goals, score seven goals, um, different goal scorers uh, in their last pre-season game. And I think... Uh, in terms of team selection, I don't think we'll see too many surprises. I've, I've sort of in my head had that he'll probably go with the standard goalkeeper and, and back four, the front three, and then obviously midfield. I would, if I was to guess right now, and I'd see, be interested to see what you guys think, but I think he'll probably go with Fabinho, Cater, and one of Milner or one Alden. Uh, as much as I'd like to see Curtis Jones or Minamino get a start, I think they're more likely to come off the bench. But yeah, I'm confident, as with last season, Liverpool will, will kind of overcome the challenge uh, and, and get the three points. Dan, it's, it's difficult because of the Bielsa factor, isn't it? Because if if anybody, I'd bite your hand off here to, to have Chelsea at home or West Ham at home, obviously, but but a manager who's not necessarily going to be a, been planning for the past three, four weeks about this game and, and how to nullify Liverpool. The Bielsa factor is a big factor here, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, David Hughes wrote a really good piece for our site about sort of how Leeds might approach it, um, similar to what Joe was saying. Uh, pressure on the ball, and I think we're going to see we're going to see a big element of of that playing out in the game. And, and I think the other thing to reference Chris as well, which which is going to influence the game, is the fact that it's going to be an empty stadium again. And it's all it's 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 the easiest thing to forget now with everything that's happening around transfers and stuff. But it's still for me the most important. And if we you know if we have fifty thousand of us inside Anfield on Saturday, then I would say the intensity would just be too much for Leeds. Um, but if they're allowed to have sort of, and I think they will have by the way, sort of ten minutes in the game at some point where they look really impressive and on top, then I think it's it's. It's going to be a lot more sort of twitchier than than if there was the whole supporters in the ground. Oddly enough, I think Bielsa will have been planning for Liverpool for about three years. To be honest, um, I think that he's obviously somebody who who backs himself massively. Um, and it's a big coming out party as well, isn't it? Of course, it is, yeah. Premier League. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, and you know it's 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 sort of him announcing himself, like you say, but. It's a good test for me. Um, I expect Liverpool to win. I expect Liverpool to get sort of their most technical players on the pitch, if you like. I, th- I agree with Joel that I think Naby Keita will play with, I think, probably Milner and Fabinho. But I'd expect Curtis Jones to be on the pitch from, from 65 onwards um, for that very reason. I think the front three might just have too much for, for Leeds' back line in terms of just their nous and their ability to to move them in places that they don't want. My only concern is that I think there are two players that I would have liked in mind for this game, Ox and Henderson. 
and and neither of them are going to be about by the looks of it. So, yeah, that's um, it's a slight concern. But you know, again, just just looking back to the the transfer existential crisis that we're going through. You know, this squad is bigger than we realise, and it's it's deeper and and stronger than we realise at times. So. I think we've got enough for Leeds United, and if I haven't, you can clip this and send it round the internet at nine o'clock on Saturday night. You'll be on marching on together.com or whatever it's called. Um, yeah, and you talk about the squad depth there, Dan. For me, you know, neither of you have mentioned the most important player for me in, in that midfield, and it'll be Genie Wijnaldum. And again, this is one of these really strange situations where you might even be a Liverpool player by the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they play against Leeds. Will Klopp sort of want to play a player who is potentially on his way out? We still don't know what's going on with Barcelona. I mean, look, he's, Klopp's never had an issue with that. He, he pretty much half of Dortmund's team that played Bayern in the Champions League final. We're, we're heading over to Bavaria the day after. That's not an issue for Klopp, but it'll just be interesting to see the selection because I, I agree. I'd be a bit concerned about Milner. Um, first game of the season no intensity to, to draw upon in the crowd but maybe look maybe you need that sort of I think he's been fantastic I think he's been brilliant pre-season sorry Chris I think he's I think he's been excellent pre-season I think he's he's I think he's at times set the intensity second half against Salzburg comes to mind where he just decides it's not good enough comes on the pitch and really sets it um, and that's where I'd, I'd sort of be given the leads factor as well I'd, I'd be tempted to, to get him in there for that reason um, because I think he'd be dying to play in the game. That's the other thing. I I wonder, be... Sorry, go on, Sam. No, I just I was going to say, I wonder sort of whether that's the ideal win album from the bench arguments. Forget mm. all, all the Barcelona context, just the fact that Milner's... I think there'll be, I think there'll be a, a priority or a preference to get as many players who stuck at Melwood throughout the past week or two um, on the pitch as possible rather than have a player who's come back sort of Thursday night with no briefing him about sort of what, what Liverpool are going to be facing and only only the Friday to be judged. So I'd, I'd be looking at Milner, to be honest, Milner for being on Kaita because they've been there throughout throughout the international break. So they've they've got all the information they need, I'd, I'd imagine, on the opponents. I think, I think that's so, a fair point. To, to jump in, Chris, the, the, the one thing I would say with that is I would be... I would be a bit disappointed if he went with the, the Community Shield midfield, which was... Milner and Wijnaldum in front of Fabinho, I think it was. I just think as much as possible, I think Liverpool need to have one of those sort of more forward-thinking creative midfielders on the pitch uh, when they can this season. And I think the way the way Cater and Jones have been playing throughout pre-season and even in the tail end of last season, I think just in terms of the balance uh, with, with teams trying to stifle Liverpool's fullbacks as much as they do, uh, I think you do need a little bit more going through the middle. So... Yeah, I think that Cater would, would definitely be on my first team sheet for sure. I should know this, but are, are we back to we're back to three subs? But are we back to five, uh, seven on the bench? Or is it still nine? I presume it would be seven. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's got to be seven if there's only three subs. I would yeah. imagine. It's yeah. So Liverpool will have a stronger bench than Leeds. I think that's also. Mm. Um, in I think that the interesting thing from a Liverpool perspective. When looking at Leeds, is you know they they they've signed that Rodrigo for for a big fee, so you you just you just I always I always worry about playing new signings on opening days. Call it the Ravinelli factor, um, <laughs> but but both of you both of you lads going for a for a home win. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think Liverpool will win. Might I be think, a bit more twitchy than we think, but I, I think, think I I think two two three two Liverpool. Well, yeah, I think two. And it might go one nil down. That's the only slight, slight inkling I have based on not very much, but I think they'll get the job done. TV should we just, should we just get beat at the first game, get the league, the, the home league record out the way, get rid of yeah. that? We start again. Yeah, just, 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 just finish it now before Everton, or Manchester City, yeah. or Man United take it. That's pretty exactly. much it. Um, right. Okay. So before we finish, just really quick fire. Um, Feel free to give a quick sentence or two about why, but let's let's just go through our pre-season predictions. Who's going to win the league? Liverpool. Liverpool. Mm, uh, ultimately, it should be Liverpool, but I think it might be Man City. Uh, top goal scorer? Salah, again. Um, Aubameyang. Timo Werner and heads fall off. 
but he might be in in contention with Salah. I could be talking about purely Liverpool there, Chris. Yeah. Oh no, no, you can but, you can go anywhere. No, nah, I'll stick with my stick with Salah. I, I, I fancy Salah, so I have a bit of a bit of a crazy one. Um, Champions League winners. See, this is very dependent on format, isn't it? If it goes, if it is very traditional, two legs. Um, I think Bayern again, by the way. We don't know the groups yet as well, do we? I was tempted to go Bayern again. Yeah, in terms of likelihood, I would say then, with us, a close second. Uh, how many goals do we see Salah, Mane and Firmino scoring, roughly? I'm going to say all comps, Salah's going to get 25 plus. I think he was 23 last season. I so. thought you were going to go 40 there, you know, Joel. I thought you were going to go absolutely massive there on, on 40. Yeah. I think he's settled these last couple of seasons on like 25 roughly as a par. It was 27 the season before last, 23 last season. So I think, yeah, 25 for him. Mane, Mane again seems to have settled on 20 in all comps as his number. Um, I think the, the, the interesting one, Dan's alluded to it earlier, is, is Firmino. He needs to be getting closer to about 20 mark. And people forget it was only a couple of seasons ago when he was getting 27. It's just that Salah mm-hmm. got 44. So no one really talks about it. But yeah, I think Firmino can get get to 20 in all competitions i'm going 20 20 35 for salah i i'll go in the premier league only i'll go 58 combined and i think that'll be enough that i think that'll be the reason why Liverpool will, will retain the league uh guardiola is he there on the last day of the season yes yeah yes, yeah. yes. carlo ancelotti is he there on the last day of the season <laughs> no <laughs> yes. for me. i would say so you reckon so? Uh, what else can we go for? I, I, I even, I'm just doing these. Off the, off the top oh, of I'll, I'll throw one in because I'm, I'm interested in this. How many points wins the Premier League? Because I have a theory that 90 wins it. Um, and, and I think if, if 90 is the case, then Liverpool can afford three losses on top of what they, they got last season, which was three, um, which is interesting. But I, I think it's massively... So and take ex- expected points, goals, wherever you want. But Liverpool's expected points for last season was seventy four point twenty eight. They overperformed by twenty four point seven two points. Which <laughs> take that where you want. But if if there is sort of a reverting to mean to be done on the on the expected points scale, then um, I think ninety wins it. And I'd probably take 90 now. I think it's high 80s, low 90s. That's that's what I've been working on when I'm looking at seasonal handicaps in terms of betting and whatnot. I've been going low low, low 90s and high 80s. Yeah. yeah, I'd back that as well. I think the one thing I would add to that is I don't think you'll be getting Chelsea and Man United on mid-60s. There's no chance of that. I think they'll no. be sort of pushing mid-70s, if not low 80s next season, or at least they should be, given their squads. Last last one from me, big biggest flop of the season, transfer wise. Just about to go for that. Go on. <laughs> Thiago Silva. Thiago Silva, that's a good shout. I really like that. Um I have a feeling uh, one of one of the big Chelsea signings, and I can't quite pinpoint which one might sort of fall a little bit short. I'm talking not about Chilwell and Thiago Silva, but one of the attacking ones. One of the most Shevchenko with basically. Whether it's Werner, Havertz or Zayac, I think, yeah, I just have, I have a feeling that two of them will, will kind of hit the ground running and do really well uh, and one might sort of be a little bit, bit of a disappointment. Uh, I'm going to go for your man, Hammers. Hammers, you're not having a mind. don't think he fancies it. Right. We'll run through really quickly then. Um, sort of the biggest overachievers in the Premier League. Southampton. I'm going so I think Southampton finished seven for eighth. And I throw Brighton in there as well, top half. This might come back to bite me. Um but I have a feeling West Ham might be slightly better than people realise. He's going for the Moisaya. Uh, biggest London achievers. I'll go up Tottenham. Mm, Tottenham. I'll just say Tottenham. I think they're gonna have another say Tottenham. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think based <laughs> based on what they done last season, I think Leicester. I I think that I don't need to get anywhere near what they done last season. I think I think you might see Sheffield United drop a little bit like a stones. To be fair, I, I yeah. think they might be in a bit of trouble doing it second time round. Uh, final two then. Uh, will Liverpool lose at Anfield in the league this season? Yes. To and it'll all be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd, be nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be amazed if not. Yeah, it's got. It's, it, it'll, do you know what? It'll probably be the, the first game when fans are back. Sheffield United, there we go. Uh, yeah. That's the first game. Actually, two, two more then. As I said two more. Uh, next one. Um, will Everton beat Liverpool this season? No. No. I'll go, yeah, with it. James Rodriguez. Run straight to my flat from whichever ground you're in. <laughs> and finally, um, will the City of Liverpool and predominantly Liverpool Football Club host any sort of parade by the time the start of the 2021-22 season begins? No. As much as I'd love to say yes. Is, is that because they're not going to win anything, Joel, or is that because of, you know, the whole corona thing? More of a latter, I'm thinking. <laughs> it's just... Uh... You, you, you're back in the reds, but you're just not back in the vaccine, basically. Yeah, it's hard to have too much sort of <sighs> optimism about that sort of thing at the moment. I'm torn because I think I think yes in terms of logistics, but I think if we get to the end of next season and Liverpool haven't won the league, then it's going to look really daft if they do it then. Klopp was um, we will have a parade, but I don't see now it's gone. I don't see how you do have a parade. I, no, I'd do it. Chris, I would do it up until the point in which Liverpool can't win it again. <laughs> Or if it's unless it's very certain that Liverpool can't win it again, you know, if we're if they say they want to do it at a game, for example, if everyone's back in March or, or April and Liverpool are 20 points behind Man City, then it's not, you know, it's going to be West Brom at the cop times a million. It, it just don't do it. Um, it's got to be done, you would imagine, probably before New Year. Um, with a lot of good grace and a lot of sort of positivity, but yeah, I'd like to I'd like to do it, but I don't know whether it could or not. As long as Everton for Hamas Rodriguez goes without a blip, we'll be absolutely fine. <laughs> Let's not be those guys. Good on the Blues. Good on, you, good having a go. You just have been that guy. I, I was that guy. But I'm only saying it because I, 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 you know, I have I have my feelings in that. I think the. I think it's interesting in general teams signing players 28, 29, 30 when clearly they need to be aiming younger and I put Everton in that category. I just think it's a dangerous strategy to be bringing in a player around that age. I think long-term it's not a great deal. Short-term, I think it's a brilliant deal. It gets yeah. everyone excited. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's what it is. And ultimately, yeah. as, it, as if Thiago wouldn't bring similar sources. of delight. Exactly. Yeah, of course. I can't be that hypocrite. I can't so, be that guy. No, fair play to the Blue Brethren. Uh, thank you for very much for joining us today. Um, Liverpool fans, if, you know, if we've still got any Everton fans listening after what we've just said, fair play to you for sticking along as well. Uh, please make sure that you're giving us a subscribe on uh, YouTube uh, and leave some comments, nice comments. Don't call me an egg, please. Uh, and if you're listening to this on, on however you consume your podcasts, give it a little five-star rating. Tell your friends, let everybody know how much you enjoy it. Um, for now then, uh, we are Liverpool.com podcast. Uh, I was Christian Walsh, Joel Rabinovitz and Dan Morgan. All that's left to say is enjoy the start of the new season. Uh, keep safe and uh, let's, let's just hold on and, and, and hope the ride's a, an enjoyable one. Take care. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.